Thank you for joining us today. Whether you are part of the Lighthouse family, be it on-site with us weekly or tuning in online, we'd love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Ely. It's on all our social media platforms. I hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Are you happy? Two of you. Thank you. Well, uh, we're leading up to Lent that's coming up. Uh, Lent is, uh, is a time where we begin to think about uh, Christmas, uh, not Christmas. What's the other one? Easter. Thank you. Someone knows what we're talking about. And uh, we're doing a, a Bible study, and uh, you can download that. You can listen to it. It's um, sort of a daily reading, and we're going through the book of Matthew, and uh, it's really fresh eyes looking at the Gospels, looking at Jesus. And um, you can imagine these Gospels are written after Jesus has died, so they, they know the end of the story, don't they? So as they're, as they're writing, they're kind of leading up to uh, really what um, God is doing through um, Jesus' death and resurrection. And um, I, wanna, I know we're doing Matthew, but I want to start in the book of John. Um, and uh, start a little series about signs. Um, other Gospels call them miracles. John calls them signs. And uh, if we are a sign, we know what a sign is, don't we? It points towards something. And um, John says this in uh, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. And if you've got your Bible, you can follow along, or we can have the Scriptures come up. He says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. So John is very clear as to why he's writing the book. He's saying these are signs, they're pointing towards something. Um, we may have a question when we read the Gospels, why is Jesus doing miracles? He's the Messiah, we know uh, the importance of his death, we know the importance of his resurrection and his ascension and his giving of the Holy Spirit, but where are the miracles fitting in all of this? When you read the Apostle Paul or, or some of the letters, um, the miracles aren't really mentioned too much. But the Gospels do focus on these miracles, and this is the reason why. Jesus is performing these miracles because it tells us something about the nature of God. If Christ has come to reveal who God is, why is God doing miracles? What is this about? And these signs are pointing towards not only who God is, but that we may believe and that we may come into life. Without faith that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, we could miss out on life in his name. And John believes these signs, these miracles, they're more than just healings or miraculous occurrings. They're the key to believing in Christ, who is the pathway to life. And maybe I need to preach sometime about what it means to have life in his name. I think that is talking about eternal life, but I think that's talking about something about our life today here on earth 
that is pointing towards who God is, that we may have that life in his name. And John writes this book, he wants you to believe in Christ. He wants you to believe that he's the Messiah. And John is trying to revolve his book around these different signs. And if you count them up, he mentions um, seven or perhaps nine, depending on how you're counting them. Um, But these seven signs pointing towards who Jesus is and so that you may believe, and by believing, you have entered into life. So the, rec- the requisite to belonging to Christ is first that we believe in him. We've been talking about the kingdom of God and Christ as king and uh, coming into his kingdom, and then that creates a sense of belonging. But belonging comes because you believe. And believing then enters us into a place where we publicly declare our faith in Christ. Maybe that is in a service like this. Maybe that is in a, a water baptism. Water bapt- uh, in the early church, when they were baptized, they were baptized into water, fully immersed, and they were baptized into the body of believers. They then now belonged to Christ and they joined the church. And baptism was kind of their joining into the church. They were baptized believers and saying, if you are a believer, what hinders you from being baptized? You know, you read this in the book of Acts. But we focus this morning on the Gospel of John and how he captures these stories using the word signs because they point towards something. And we can discover, I think today, how we can focus our life A sign needs to be focused, it needs to be pointy, it needs to show a clear direction. And I think our lives can be pointy and focused and directed towards maybe pointing others towards Christ. But how does that manifest in us and how do we uh, point others towards Christ? And maybe that is in the way that we live, in the way that we move, in the way that we have our being, that we can actually show others what we believe by the way we act. Jesus said in John 13, he says, everyone will know that you're my disciples or know that you belong to me by the way that you love each other. And in 1 John 4, John writes, he says, how can you say you love God who you can't see yet hate your brother or sister who you can see? And John goes a little bit further and says, listen, you're a liar. (laughs) If you're saying you love God, but you don't love God's people and you don't love those around you, then you're a liar. You don't really love God. And John just just hits it, doesn't he, out there. And you can't criticize me because I'm just quoting John. John gives us an insight into the purpose of Christ's mission, which is to bring us into life. He writes in in 10 verse 10, doesn't he? Jesus says, The thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life to the full. So there's an abundance with this life that Christ is talking about. And as I say, we begin our Lent series where we're embracing the message of Christ, leading us up to the grand finale, the resurrection, which we'll celebrate in Easter. And uh, as I say, we're reading the the book of Matthew. You can join in with that. Just let us know if you'd like to do that. But the ultimate sign 
that John is leading up to, as does all the disciples, is the resurrection. Um, we'll get there in April, I think it is. But these signs, interestingly, in Matthew 12 and 16, the religious people come to Jesus and ask him for a sign. Show us a sign right now, on demand, that we might believe. And interestingly, he says, none will be given you apart from the sign of Jonah, which is what um, Joe Lampshire preached on last week. The sign of Jonah is the only one, that, the sign that matters. And maybe he's referring to Jonah's resurrection after three days and three nights inside the great fish, which prefigures his resurrection. But today I want to start with the first sign. That's my introduction. Start with the first sign that John records which is when Jesus is at a wedding in Cana. And there's three points I want to ponder, points to ponder this morning. Why is John choosing a wedding to show the first sign? Why, what significance is that? And we know what happens if you know the story. Um, Jesus provides an abundance of wine. Um, why, why do they need so much wine? Uh, they worked out 986 bottles that Jesus provided, something like that. I don't know about the last party that you had, but did you order over 900 bottles of wine? Um, I wouldn't recommend it, but I'm not sure the wine then was as strong as we drink today. Maybe, maybe not. And then thirdly, what can we learn about this sign that points us towards Christ today? So here's the story. You can find this in John chapter 2. There's a wedding in Cana, a city not far from Nazareth. Mary, the mother of Jesus seems to have something to do with the catering, or maybe she's in charge of the wedding. And Jesus is there with all his disciples, and of course, they run out of wine. Mary comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, do something about it. Jesus is like, listen, it's not my time. My hour has not come. And maybe he meant my hour of glorification, the hour that is coming in my glorification by crucifixion uh, resurrection and ascension. Maybe he's talking about that. Mary doesn't listen to that. She says to the servants, listen, just do what Jesus tells you to do. And I, I could just preach on that, really. Uh, I think Joe did last week. Um, just do what Jesus tells you to do. And uh, seemingly Jesus kind of shifts his mind or maybe he's a good Jewish boy just doing his mum tells him to do. Um, but he, he, he changes his mind and he, he says... Um, and he begins to speak into reality something that's not there. And he turns the water that's in these large stone uh, purification vessels. These were uh, water that they would wash their hands with before they eat. And uh, it was a religious ceremony that came with this um, wine. But he turns it into an abundance of wine. As I said, over 900 bottles um, <laughs> of wine. And he takes it to the master of the banquet and he tastes the wine and he says, this is superior to the table wine. And with the question, he asks, who leaves the best until the end? And then the story ends with John's comment in John 2 verse 11. He says, Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So this word sign is not found in the story until the last verse, and it's this miracle of turning water into wine. Now the other Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, they record other miracles 
and they call them miracles, but John calls them signs. And the seven signs that we can identify is uh, water into wine, healing the official's son, feeding the 5,000, raising Lazarus, a lame man is healed, healing a blind man, and the resurrection of Jesus. They're the seven where John particularly notes that these are called signs. But a sign is something given especially to confirm, to corroborate, or to authenticate. That's the word that he uses, and that's the translation that we uh, authenticate the Lord. It authenticates his eternal purpose. A sign is also noted as something that's an unusual occurrence and transcending the common order of nature. So this sign, this public deed performed by Jesus reveals something about him that others will believe in him. But it requires this this act of faith, doesn't it? Because if we start debunking all the miracles and maybe it was a trick, maybe Jesus was just uh, hoodwinking everyone and he had it filled with wine already. You know how we like to be skeptical in our modern, uh, modern enlightened mind. But actually, what it, what it demands from us is a place of faith. Do you actually believe that this happened? But as you believe, what you do is you find out who Christ is in the Messiah, which leads you into a place of life with him. So I think there is a step of faith that's required beyond our skepticism of our modern mind. A sign is an act and as we begin to see that sign, we begin to understand or as it reveals the identity of Jesus, who Jesus is, but only to those who have faith in him. So question one, why do we think John chooses a wedding to open the public ministry of Jesus? A wedding, well, several reasons, I believe. It's part of the big picture story. A wedding feast um, would perhaps last a few days. That's why they've run out of wine. Um, everyone was invited. It was a very public demonstration of something that's happened, but it's also understood in the terms of a covenant relationship. Someone asked me, I don't know when it was a few, few months ago now, I said, you know, today people don't get married. I'm like, okay. So what's the difference between living together and getting married? And this person has been in church for, for a while and, you know, I presume they'd understood from Scripture what it means to live in covenant relationship. I, I, I think a covenant is something that is declared public. A covenant is something that everybody witnesses. And that's, that's what, a, I mean, that's not just what a wedding is, but it's, it's a public ceremony and it's a solemn, deep covenant. And I think Jesus is, or, or John is saying, listen, covenant's important somehow in this story where vows are made and promises declared. And maybe it's a foreshadow of Christ as the groom and the church as his bride or us being married to the Lord. And, but this is kind of an insight into the depth of relationship that Christ wants to have with us as the church, which is deeper than us just following or being a loyal servant to the king. This places us in covenant relationship with Christ. John says in 
John 14, he writes in, uh, Jesus says in John 14, if you believe in me, verse 23, we will come and make our home with you. Now, if you, listen, if you read John 14 in, in light of wedding language or pre-wedding language, you, in, in the Jewish culture, you can begin to understand when Jesus says things like, in my Father's house there is many rooms and I go to prepare a place for you. This is John, um, beginning of John, verse 2 and 3. This passage would have been a well-known phrase that a groom might say to his bride. Listen, I've got room, come, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come and get you. That is the courtship, the kind of language that Jesus is using here. And in our story, in John chapter 2, Jesus initially, doesn't he, is hesitant and says, this is not my time. The glorification was still to come. And if you read John 12, 23, it says this, it says, um, it, it's the story of the transfiguration. And uh, part of that records that it says, now is the time. And, and you skip down to 1227. It says, my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, for this is the reason my time has come. So where Jesus was hesitant in John 2, skip forward to John 12, and he says, this is the hour. And it was tough for him. But he says, glorify your name. And the voice came from heaven and said, I, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And although he had performed many signs in their presence, they did not believe. That's verse 37. But this is the hour that Jesus is talking about. Another thing, maybe we talk about weddings, we talk about feasts. Also what John's doing in his gospel, he revolves it around the major feasts. And uh, Jesus would talk about the wedding feast where all the guests was invited and those from the highways and byways. So this is a very much a theme. If you understand the culture, you understand that a lot of it revolved around eating and getting together. Um, so why would Jesus not choose that wedding to reveal himself? The major feast that they would celebrate, uh, the Feast of Weeks, uh, uh, which is the Pentecost or the first harvest. There was the Feast of Passover, which was coming out of Egypt, which we know today is Easter. And then there's the second harvest, the Feast of Tents or Tabernacles. That was the second harvest. And these were three key events where if you follow through John, Jesus at those feasts is every time revealing himself and who he is. I haven't got time to go in all of those, but maybe I will one day. And maybe the wedding is a sign of things to come. We know John writes of the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelations 19 which is the final joining of Christ and his church. So I think a wedding is a very significant place within that culture and certainly um, perhaps the, a, a good occasion for Jesus to foreshadow of what's happening. Second question I thought of is, why so much wine? What is this all about? We've said that signs are these iconic moments and the act of turning water into the abundance of wine reveals something to us about Jesus and his abounding sufficiency to those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. The wine 
says something about Jesus and abundant joy. I mean, we can drink, can't we, to quench thirst, but drinking wine invokes something about the sweetness or the celebration. And all of this comes to mind when we think, yes, there's wine, but why is there so much of it? But these are these early disciples, they're just starting out. And I imagine they have so many questions. What is Jesus doing in fulfilling celebration? Um, what is he doing to reveal his glory? And if they think back to Exodus, how God's glory was revealed in there, and Jesus' disciples are now the ones that begin to see the glory of the Lord revealed in their midst. Wine is also used at many of these celebrations. During the Feast of Passover that Jesus is celebrating with his disciple, he takes the cup of wine and he says, this is the, the seal of the new covenant, which represents his blood. And he says to them, take this wine, drink it for the forgiveness of your sins. And this new covenant wine was to include anyone who believes. Just as the first sign in Cana was the abundance of wine, Jesus makes this wine of his new covenant available for anyone that would want to partake about it. So what does this mean to us today? What does this tell us about Christ and uh, his presence that comes? Is it just about the wine? Is it just about the wedding? Or is it pointing us towards something that we can go more in depth about and answer the question, who is this Jesus? Why would Jesus even care about running out of wine? Perhaps a lot more people turned up. That could be a reason why they ran out. Maybe Jesus had a plus one and he bought a plus 12. I mean, that's a bit awkward, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Jesus, who are these guys? Maybe he's covering for his disciples. Maybe he's just you know, he thinks they're going to be really embarrassed. What does that tell us about Jesus? Does he care that we're embarrassed? Does he care that much that we could caught off guard and run out? Jesus meets the need of the hour, even though he says, this is not my time. Perhaps this is not an excuse for us to have poor planning when it comes to feasts and celebrations or wedding arrangements. What is Jesus like? Is he the kind of guy that just wants the party to continue? Perhaps. <laughs> John would say, this is a sign that points us towards the glory of Christ, that this is God incarnate, that he can do things that nobody else can do. This is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, that we may see, that we may understand who God is. The God incarnate can perform miracles that confound nature itself. And we know that Christ is returning for that wedding feast. We know that Christ is the groom and he's making his bride ready. He tells a story in Matthew, he says, when you're the, those who are waiting, for the groom to return, they keep oil in their lamps. I love that. Keep, give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. Burning till the break of day. I'm not going to sing it. I'll get in lots of trouble. Copyright issues. That's the reason I'm not. 
Christ is the groom. He's making his bride ready. We keep oil in our lamps, and I think that's significant of us burning bright and shining. I say, Lord, fill me with the oil. And maybe that oil represents the Holy Spirit. Yeah, just keep me burning till the break of day. Christ has made room in his Father's house. And when it's ready, he's coming back. He's coming back for his own. His, his hour is still to come. God in his great commission and his great directive, if you like, has said to us, come on, you've been given this authority. He says, I've been given this authority. I'm given this authority to you to begin to make disciples. How is Jesus preparing his bride? We're his bride. And we're preparing ourselves too. And he's working in us through his Holy Spirit to bring others into relationship with him. God has made himself known in his great compassion to humanity. And he's done this through Jesus. And those de- demanded signs when the ultimate sign is that God loves you and he loves you so much that he gave his only son for you. That if you believe in him, you shall not have condemnation, but you shall have life and life to the full. The ultimate sign is that Jesus has made God known to us through his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, Jesus reveals the character and nature of God that these signs John wrote about show us that we can have relationship with God. And it's only through knowing who Christ is that we come into this life. That's what he writes in John 17 verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, that's God, as the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Today we read these stories, and we can discover that God can do the impossible. But do you believe it? I think there's a challenge to these things. Are we these skepticals, or do we skeptical? Skepticals, is that a word? Skeptics. I like my word better. Do you believe it? Because that belief leads us to places where we know God's at work in us. Whatever circumstances we're facing, whatever challenges that we're going through, we know if God can turn water into wine, he can do this for me. This public deed performed by Jesus reveals who he is, but it requires faith on our part to perceive its truthfulness. As such, a sign is an act and as we ponder on these things and we, we begin to take into our hearts and say, Lord, what are you speaking to me today about your true identity? And do I have faith in you? Jesus says, when I return, the Son of Man, will I find faith? Because Christ reveals his glory through the science. And as he does, we believe in him. And as we believe in him, we find life. That story tells us about abundance. That story tells us about nothing's too difficult. It tells us that God really loves us and cares about us. 
and wants to meet our needs. And it tells us about his new covenant that he has for us. I want to close with prayer and ask this question, are we ready for Christ's return? Are we that bride ready, dressed in white? Are we ready to be married to the Lord? I tell you, the signs of the end times are upon us. You only have to watch the news to see that the end is coming when Christ will return and judge the living and the dead. I wonder, do you know him? Do you believe in him? And will you today make that public declaration of your faith in him? I'd say if you, if you haven't done this, I want to challenge you and say, Lord, I believe in you. Show me your glory. Do you believe in him? Maybe we can just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who revealed who you are, that we might believe. Lord Jesus Christ, we believe in you as the Messiah and as the Son of God. We believe that through you we may have life in your name. ask you, Lord, to take our simple faith, our simple trust in you, that we may know you, that we may have that eternal life beginning here and now. In Jesus' name. Amen.